0: Your Family, Your Money is brought to you by Westpac Bump Savings Account.
1: Welcome to a kindling podcast, Your Family, Your Money. I'm Georgina Dent. And I'm Caitlin Fitzsimmons. We're two mums with young families and we want to help all families understand money better. It is so closely linked with with
2: all of the things that we do, whether that is, you know, where we live, how we live, how we look after our children, where they go to school, how we spend our holidays. It's, it's so closely linked with all of those decisions. And I think that empowering people to, to be comfortable talking
1: about money is so important. It's true. It's one of those big taboos. People hate talking about it, but especially for couples, it's like you, you really have to get on the same page about it. Otherwise, it's not going to work. And I think that the way families manage their money
2: is incredibly important to their, to their security and to their, their happiness. Today, we welcome a special guest on the program. You may know Nicole O'Neill from the TV show, The Real Housewives of Sydney. But she's also been Miss Australia, has a degree in commerce, and is an entrepreneur. And most importantly, she's the mother of two young girls, and she's passionate about teaching her kids that money doesn't grow on trees. Hi, Nicole. Hi. Let's start the conversation with a question to you, Nicole. Coming from a relatively wealthy background, In that kind of setting, how do you teach your kids about the value of money and hard work?
0: I think it's approaching money is like approaching anything else that you teach your children. I was very recently reminded that my children have an incredible concept of weights and measures and things like that. And I went back to thinking of what I did with them when they were younger and My children, I used to play with them and bake with them and every Friday we'd bake, but also during the week I'd pull out bags of rice and flour and salt and water and I'd say to my children, show me what 500 mils looks like, show me what half a kilo looks like, show me what 200 grams looks like. And, you know, it wasn't until they could physically see and feel those weights and and the liquids and the measures were they able to conceptualise the idea of weights and measures. And I think money is the same type of idea. They need to see what one dollar gets you, and how how hard it is to get that dollar, and what you can do with that dollar, and how far you can stretch that dollar. And I think that you know money is not something that we should be scared of teaching our children about. You know, it's a it's a it's a very funny topic that people don't like to talk about. But I think it's money is something that everybody should be talking about how we teach our children because these days everything's on cards. You know, I remember my daughter once when we were younger and she asked for an ice cream and I said, oh, no, I don't have any money. And she said, you just go to that machine and it comes out of the wall. And and that's how children see money. You know, the other thing is, like, my children host lemonade stands and they love doing those lemonade stands over the summer. But it's about teaching your children that it's not the, you know, the $100 that you earn at the end of the day. It's about, you know, how much did your lemons cost you? How much did... Uh, your time cost you? How much did all the ingredients that you needed cost you? Um, if you had to, you know, all those ideas, it's about simplifying how we operate.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I find that really interesting. I was saying to Caitlin earlier that when I was talking to my kids one day about money and I said, you know, that not everybody has got money and what my five-year-old said, well, why don't they just go to the shop and get more money? And I thought oh, it's such a simple view, but that for them is their concept of money is that it's just something that your parents get when they go to the bank it's or they assumed. go to the. Um, and I, I think it is funny also, Caitlin, because there is a little bit of a taboo with money. Would you agree that there's an element to it that we don't really talk about?
1: Yeah, it's um, it's it's considered a bit of a, it's considered a bit vulgar to talk Perhaps. about money, isn't That's it? Exactly yeah, exactly right. It's I, I remember.
0: I, like, it, yeah, people don't talk about it, yeah,
2: I remember when when we, when I was growing up, mum and dad were quite clear about the fact that talking about money was inappropriate.
0: That's it. You never ask someone how much they earn, you never ask someone how much they spent on something you never you never any of those things are never talked about, and that's fine, but you know your ch- children have to understand that when you put in the hard work and you get paid for that, what that can get you. And you know the other thing that a lot of parents I think don't talk about with their children, which I've been doing from a very young age, is talking about uh, appreciating assets and depreciating assets, and and how to invest your money, and what you know if you saved ten dollars today, what you'd have in twenty years time, and teaching them about interest rates and a lot of those basic ideas around money that that I seem that people seem to to, to skip over, and I don't know whether it's that. You know, it's a very hard concept to explain, but children are much brighter and generally a lot more aware than we
1: feel that they are. Do you think it's um, getting harder because we're much less cash-based than we used to be, that we generally use cards to to pay for most things in the shops, or we shop online when we're not looking and so on? I think what happens
0: is that we live in a very disposable society. I think that go back 20 or 30 years ago... People would bake at home, and you know you'd you'd spend the time baking and cooking, or you'd buy one new pair of shoes every six months, a season, and that was a big deal. Like you'd have your your, your Sunday bests, and mm. and it would be one pair. I remember when we were growing up, it'd be one pair of shoes for the summer, and one pair of shoes for the winter. But these days, with you know that we live in such a disposable, instant society, things are much cheaper. People don't understand the the people don't really mind about the quality of something they'd much rather have it now and have it fast mm. and and i think that our children are growing up in that type of society i mean look at only 10 years ago there was none of these home delivery services that you find these days or there was none of these high end high street shops that would sell clothes that you know new clothes in the shop every 2 weeks
1: mm. I always try, um, I mean, I completely agree with you that kids' clothes, kids' toys, uh, you know, household items, they're all so much cheaper and also so much lesser quality than they used to be. And, you know, I I try to kind of buy things that are good quality and are going to last and talk to my children about you know making things last that's it but i also you know I'm, I'm just conscious of the cash thing that uh if i'm using a card i'll explain to them this is a debit card it's using it's using money i have or this is a credit card and that's okay because I'm going to pay that off in full by the end of the month. And, you know, I don't want them to kind of see me using that plastic and think that it's okay to, you know, that a credit card is just free money, for example. No.
0: And it's also about teaching, as a parent, it's your responsibility to teach your children the value of money. And, for example, the other day I was at a shopping centre and a little girl, she was crying because her toy broke. And the mother said, oh, don't worry, we'll just buy you a new one. And, you know, it was obviously much easier and more efficient for her to buy her this toy, whether it was, I don't know, 5 or $10, whatever it cost, mm. than spending her time fixing that toy. And so you're you're passing that on to your children. Or it's like parents who lose a dollar coin somewhere and, you know, you find them somewhere and it's like, oh, it's only a dollar or not to worry but all those dollars count, and all those ten cent coins and all those five cent coins all those little ones all those little things count and as a parent, it's our responsibility to show our children that it starts with the pennies
2: mm. Nicole, I'm interested to know, do you pay your children pocket money, and if so, what are the what are the rules around that? How does it work?
0: I don't personally because I think that my children are very lucky to be living where they live and how they live and to have all the trimmings that you know, are surrounded as a parent that I give them. So I feel that it's their responsibility to help out with the chores, whether it be the dishwasher or making their bed or walking the dogs or f- bathing the dogs or general things like that around. I mean, there's no slave labour going on, but yes. just general chores around the house. I don't think my children should have to be paid for that. I don't want to have to say to them, I'll give you X amount for emptying the dishwasher or I'll give you that's, that, that. I'm giving you dinner. I'm giving you an education. I'm giving you the school uniform that you're wearing. I'm giving you all these other things. Mm. And so, no, I, I don't believe that, that children should be paid for chores. I think that, you know, you want to create something entrepreneurial in your children. And so I'd much rather help them invest in a, in a, in a business or start a business
1: or, and support them in that way.
2: Yeah. And Caitlin, what about you? Do you um, pay your children pocket money? Where, where do you stand on that?
1: Well, I I haven't uh, yet. they are only six. So this is a decision I'm actually thinking about now because, you know, like, so, you know, it's
0: very difficult.
1: Yeah. And so listening to that, um, you know, I've had the same thoughts. I, I really believe that. Everyone in the household should contribute to the running of the household. and that's Mm. So if I give my children pocket money, it'll be separate from the chore issue. I read a fascinating interview with uh, Leanne Moriarty, the author, and she's got two sisters who are published authors as well. Her father, when they were little, used to pay them money to write stories. And his thinking there was, I'm showing you that it's possible to earn a living from something you enjoy doing. Yeah. And I thought that How was a beautiful idea. I might do that. And Reading also, a
0: book. I got paid as a child to read books.
2: Really, yeah. I think. I mean, obviously, Liane Moriarty's father did very well because. Wow. They are really all of her sisters. I think there's three of them who work in writing. I think one of them is a professor but that obviously ingrained, I don't pay our kids pocket money yet. I mean, our eldest is seven. I think it's definitely in the realm she has started asking about that. And I do feel quite lost because, and I'm actually quite relieved to hear both of you think that just contributing to the running of the house is not of itself enough to earn pocket money. And that is actually something that I am struggling with to sort of get the kids on board with that, that you know they're always like, why do we always have to do these jobs? It's like, well, because if you want to live in a house where you know where your shoes are, you need to put them away.
1: That's exactly right.
2: If you want to live in a house where there's clean clothes, you've got to put your dirty clothes in the laundry basket or hang your uniform up.
1: But then there's the school of thought that says if you give children pocket money for doing nothing, then you're not linking the kind of the provision of money and the kind of earning the money. And uh, so, you but know, that's, that's why th- I struggle with.
0: There's another way, as Leanne Morati's father paid her to write, there's other ways that you can, that your children can earn money. And, and I think that that's the school of thought where I come from. It's,
2: yeah, I mean, it's very fascinating because you can see that the relationship that you develop with your children and, and money is really, really powerful because I think it, it does set up their sort of view. And I think that there is – listening to you, Nicole, I'm conscious that I haven't really – and you, Caitlin, actually – I haven't really been talking to the kids very much about the bigger picture of money because it hasn't really come up. But I suppose that's not really going to be helpful for them, is it, to not talk about it? But, you
0: know, it's also you start with – I sat in the car the other day when they were younger, much younger, and I initially started that way, and I gave my daughter $5, and I said, can you run in and get me a loaf of bread? And she ran in, got the loaf of bread, and she came back, and I said, oh, how much was it? Oh, I don't know. I just gave them the money. I said, no, no. You always count your change, so you know how much they've charged you and how much money you're owed back. And she went, oh, okay. Next day, we did the same thing. And I gave her $5, and she ran in, and she bought the loaf of bread, and she came back and you know, she said, oh, it cost $2.80 and this is your change and this is what was owed to you. And so I said to her, see, you need to, you, so now you understand that bread cost $2.80 and, and so you need to understand that. So she sort of grasped the concept slowly and out of $5, you get the change back. Mm, mm. You know, I remember for a while my kids loved coins. They much preferred to have a coin over a note because for them that. that that was money, not a note, was just paper.
2: Yeah, my kids are still in that point. that if you've got one of them thinks, you know, the more coins you've got. Yeah. So even if one of them's got a two dollar coin, if the other one has got three fifty cent pieces, obviously the three
1: coins cent, is yeah. richer. I think it's not just about talking to your kids about money, though that is important. It's also about modelling the the good behaviour and and if and the sort of conversations they might witness you having with their with um, their other parents and and so on as well. So I think there's there's a bigger picture and and what you actively teach them and what you kind of passively teach them just by being who you are and doing what you do, could be two different things. And I also think that another important thing with your children is to teach
0: them to save. Um, to teach them to save for something just out of their reach, that that they can save up and they can see that, that, that the money's coming together because it's they want something just out that they can't afford. But, you know, it's not to save up for a car when you're 18. It's to save up for something that you can get maybe in six months' time. You know, children don't have an incredible long concentration span. So small bite-sized pieces, you can get to it in six months' time. You want that PlayStation? Let's save up for that. And,
2: you know, let's do something to earn that. Nicole, we've got a question from one of our listeners that I wanted to ask you, and it's from Demetra in Thornbury in Melbourne. She says, we have a big extended family with lots of gatherings to celebrate the various birthdays of the kids. It is really expensive, and the looks you get if your gift is not an expensive one cut deep. Do you have any strategies or approaches, something maybe like Kris Kringle but for kids, I would love to float a smart idea to young mums in our family to try and control the situation. I don't think the kids learn much about how to control money when they are showered with expensive gifts. What are your thoughts about that, Nicole?
0: I think that it's always a very delicate situation because uh, what one person thinks is enough or what they've spent on someone else is somebody else doesn't think is adequate. I would suggest, and my the best way that I would target that is something similar to how a lot of schools run it, And it would be that, you know, at the beginning of the year, somebody takes control and they call it the birthday club. And that mum collects money from all the other mums, whether it be $20 or $100, whatever, how much they choose. And then throughout the year, it's divided between the number of children. And I think that that, it equals a playing field. And therefore, all the mums are buying equal amounts for all the children.
2: Yeah, that's very interesting. What do you think, Caitlin?
1: How do you manage buying presents for, for kids I really feel for Demetra, I think it can be quite fraught and there's, you know, a lot in there about relationships. I feel quite fortunate that I don't have those situations in, in my own family. So I guess the only thing I would say is that, you know, having some conversations with the other parents and collectively agreeing on some expectations or some kind of ways to manage it is a great idea. Um, You can have those conversations out of earshot from the children. Chances are they're probably dealing with the same issues themselves, both in terms of budgeting and in terms of not wanting their child to be spoiled. So, you know, if if you kind of just come together for a brainstorming session, then you might find something productive.
2: Absolutely. And I mean, I think probably having a conversation is, is the way forward. I do think it is really tricky because everybody's financial position is different. And I think that I would be really disappointed if someone that I knew, I I gave them a present for their child and they were somehow disapproving of that um, because I feel like that really isn't the point. And I think that the. the
0: Can you imagine what they're teaching their children? Well, I'm hoping that it was. I'm
1: hoping in Demetra's case it was the child that was maybe giving them the look rather than their parents. And that is still a problem in and of itself. But yeah. if the parents are kind of acting like that, then the children have no, no chance. No but chance. if the children are, are kind of not maybe getting that sense of perspective, but you can get the parents on board, then you can maybe turn the things around a bit. Because I mean the other flip side to this is, and this is partly what you were saying before, Nicole, that we do live
2: in a world where there is just stuff everywhere. And Caitlin and I have actually talked about this in a previous episode. But that's something I'm conscious of every time I'm buying a present for another the child, whether it's my niece or whether it's a, child, you know, one of my kids' friends, you don't want to add to the clutter, the no. unnecessary clutter in somebody's house, and I don't think it's helpful for kids to, to sort of just have mountains and mountains of Is stuff. This
0: disposable world we live in.
2: Yeah, I mean, I do think sometimes getting together with other parents helps. We've done that for a few birthday parties where a few of us have gone in and we've been able to buy something quite special for the child. Especially
0: if that's something that child wishes for and has been wanting.
2: Because if you speak to their parents and there is something that you want, if five of you each go in and put in $20, you can get them something that's actually probably going to be more valuable than five small things for
1: $20. I've asked for family members for experiences for the children so I've had for example one year my father bought theatre tickets for some of the kids shows at the opera house um, for both my kids and that was great because you spread out the fun throughout the year and it's as you say not adding to the clutter.
0: I like giving experiences um, so I will do something with someone's child you know, or a God chart, I will take them somewhere. And so that's the gift is spending the time with me and with whatever we end up doing, whether it's baking or, you know, spending the day at the beach, or it's that type of experience, which is my time, which I hope
2: that that would be worth more to them than. You yeah, know. absolutely. Yeah, no, I think they're great ideas.
1: And, you know, you're a busy mother and entrepreneur, your time is valuable. So, well, you know, just it's also about being creative.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that day at the beach, I'd enjoy it too. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing that is the thing with kids is that when you do have some time to spend with them without the pressures of, you know, oh. normal life of having to get to school, drop off, or get, uh, make this meeting and do that, it actually is so lovely for everyone involved.
1: Oh, it's that non-routine. So I um, was interested to hear you talk about the lemonade stands. One of my interests is how do you kind of cultivate that sense of entrepreneurship in in children? There are a few kind of programs around, like there's Club Kidpreneur or, you know, the the Girl Guides and Scouts might do various things as well. Um, But, uh, yeah, I'd love to hear kind of more ideas on how you kind of uh, get your children thinking about such things. You
0: know, it's funny because a lot of children – that I come across have these brilliant ideas and come up with ideas and inventions and we should do this and they should be this and this should happen. And I think very often kids are so quickly shut down. And I think it's about exploring those ideas and whether it is just a lemonade stand or a cupcake stall, my children do cupcake stalls. You know, it's about teaching them that that's fine. You know, you need the milk and the sugar and the butter and the flour and all the things that you need and the patties and how you're going to do your advertising and what's your marketing and, and how you're going to let people know about it. And whether, for half the time, it's not that they want the money for themselves. It's the novelty of actually the whole experience. And that's your opportunities to take that novelty and spin it into a positive and make that a learning experience for your children. And I think that it's about explaining the cost of butter and the cost of the ingredients, how much your time is worth and you know where you could sell it. And you know children love those opportunities. And I think that that's where it comes in. And then once you've earned the money, how much do you have to take away? How much were your operating costs? And you start slowly and But, you know, when children realise that, yeah, you've made $100, but, you know, it cost you $80 to put that stall on, you know, they realise then, gee, that cupcake that I ate the other day, that was really delicious. And now I can sort of understand why, you know, why things are expensive and why that did cost $4.50. So do you make them pay tax to the government of mum and dad? (laughs) (laughs) No, we're not at that stage yet, but that comes. I remember when I was at school and at year 10 or year 11, I did Young Achievers And I don't know if it's a program that's still around, but that was what just fueled the fire inside me. And you start a business, and we started it, I think there's 12 children from the local area, and it's a program where you all get together and, and you talk about yourself, and then you have to vote someone in a CEO and a CFO. And like you're building this mini company, and then you have to come up with an idea and how you're going to manufacture it. And you're given $250, and it's how you make what you make with that $250 and what ideas you come up with and how you're going to sell it and market it. And I think that, you know, that's an incredible experience that all children should take part in because it
1: really shows you an understanding of how things come together. Well, and more and more too because uh, we're living in a world where there's increasing automation, and a lot of entry-level jobs are disappearing. And uh, you know that we're we're told continually that we'll have to be uh, more entrepreneurial in the future. We'll be having to invent our own jobs, and and think so on. Think outside the so, box. Absolutely. So, I, I mean, I think this is a really important life skill for kids to have, even if they do end up going and getting a, a you know a conventional job. You know, maybe they make a bit of money on the side. I look at a lot of those social
0: influences, and that's a whole industry that's come out of nowhere in the last few years. And some of those social influences are making big money to be posting and have this huge
2: following that's a form of entrepreneurship. I actually read something recently about quite a young entrepreneur who, who is an influencer on Instagram. And she was saying, I mean, she, she's very successful, but she was saying for a long time, she was so ashamed. you know, She couldn't actually really tell her parents what she was doing because it was just so far out of their realm of possibility. Um, and I think, you know, you, you're right. The world is quite different now. And I think, how we equip our kids for that in a financial sense, but also in a skill
1: sense, is is really interesting to consider. The YouTube video makers, the you know, the filmmakers oh. as well. Like, I mean, there's amazing. a girl on
0: YouTube who earns a fortune just opening up Kinder Eggs.
2: Like, <laughs> <laughs> literally, <laughs> literally, opens up
0: Kinder. See, Eggs. That actually is
2: a job that I think my kids could do. They what, are, they but, are really good at that. I mean,
0: this is a grown woman who's done this, <laughs> and she and she just has children mesmerized. That, that is fantastic. Just watching, uh, opening the egg and, and putting together the surprise that comes inside. Yeah, that's, that's awesome.
2: Nicole, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank um, you it's for been, having me. Yeah, really interesting to listen to your insights on
1: kids and money. Thank you. Well, that was really interesting. What did you take out of it, Georgie? I found um,
2: Nicole's perspectives really interesting, actually. And it, it really, you know, she did make me think about being more explicit in the way that I do talk to the kids about money and the way that we approach money, I suppose. What about you?
1: Same. And, and actually, there's a, a few things that um, I've heard about recently that I'm kind of keen to try out because, you know, these days when you teach kids about money, it's not always cash based. So, you know, you you might kind of still have the piggy bank and the coins and, you know, teach them how to add up and that, that 350 cent coins is not better than one $2 coin, like you mentioned earlier, and mm. so on. But it is also the 21st century. And so, of course, you know, the things are moving online. And um, I've heard recently about an app called Spriggy, which is an app and debit card combined that you can kind of pay pocket money into. I've heard about a program called. Banquer, um, B-A-N-Q-E-R, which is a financial literacy program in schools. So, you know, I, I think it's, it's great to kind of think about these creative ways that you can um, teach kids about money rather than how we were taught necessarily as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. What do you think about um, when kids get their first job?
1: Yeah, of course, because we're, we've been talking a lot about entrepreneurship, but for a lot of kids, their first experience earning money is going to be much more traditional work, and, and that's great as well. You know, if if a kid is lucky enough to get a part-time job when they're still at school, it can teach them so much, uh, not just about money, but about, you know, responsibility and about the, the workplace and, and so on, and so... I think what I would be telling my children in maybe ten years' time, if they're if they're if they're getting a job, is that uh, they should be kind of thinking about their money in, um, you know, what they're going to spend, what they're going to save. You could introduce giving in that as well, both to charity or to like you know save for kind of birthday and Christmas presents for other people and but I would also be looking at superannuation because as soon as you get your first formal job you start having super taken out of it uh, as well Mm. and there is a chronic problem in this country with underpayment and non-payment of super so I'll definitely be teaching them how to check their pay slip and make sure the super is being taken out correctly and to actually check with their super accounts if the money's coming in as it should and to review the super account so that they're not getting all of that money eaten up with fees and insurance that they may not need at this point in their lives so that it, it can grow and to put it into a high growth portfolio because you know they, they don't need to kind of play it safe with, with that money um, at this point in their lives and compound interest is just such a powerful thing. So, I'd, I'd be definitely getting them to check that side of things as well.
2: I suppose linking back to that conversation we were having about pocket money, I do think that the first time someone actually, you know, works for money is when you do appreciate the value of money much more clearly. Because I think you know, until you have done that first shift in a job and. You know, you might work eight hours and you might get, you know, you might work five hours, whatever it is. And then you see that amount. Suddenly you put that into perspective and and what what it costs to live becomes clear in a way that I think until you actually step out and earn money and have to pay bills, it's easy to sort of forget.
1: Did you have a job as a teenager? Uh,
2: I actually got my first job when I left school. I went to boarding school and one of the downfalls of that was that um, we weren't allowed to have paid jobs. I did have jobs in the holidays and I did a lot of babysitting um, and I think, I mean, babysitting was a great thing to do, I think, through all through uni and I actually did it even when I was in my first jobs, when I had spare nights, I was on a couple of different websites because I liked kids and I was pretty responsible so I could do that pretty easily. But yeah, I definitely, I, I very vividly remember, you know, doing my first shift at work and then getting the paycheck and sort of looking at that and thinking, wow, you know, this is, it, it is expensive to live. And when you most of us start out in pretty low paying jobs, which is the way it should be. But I think it teaches you a lesson about the value of money in a way that other things can't.
1: I think it also teaches you about the different ways to earn money and which ones play to your own strengths. I mean, like you, I did a lot of babysitting and I really enjoyed it. And my family, friends who employed me tended to be a bit more generous than, you know, maybe kind of an actual business would be. Yes. You know, if you had kids that would go to bed at eight o'clock, then, you know, you've got kind of three hours on your own to like read books and watch TV and Yeah, or study.
2: I mean, that was the thing when you're at uni babysitting work is amazing at night time because you've got to do your study anyway. So you may as well get paid for it.
1: But the other job I did was delivering uh, leaflets for um, a local real estate agency. And I can't remember the exact amount, but you're paid per leaflet. And it just was (laughs) back-breaking work, kind of tramping around the suburb, delivering these leaflets. And you know when they've got no advertising material or no junk mail stickers, you've got to go even further. So uh, you know, that that was, it was interesting. It's, it's good experience for kids to do that sort of thing, I think. Um, and I certainly talked to my own kids about, um, I mean, they're not out there kind of, you know, delivering leaflets or babysitting kind of other kids, obviously. No, you know, six but... is
2: probably a little bit early.
1: <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I talked to them about why I work and, you know, how the work I do puts food on the table and so on. topics or questions feel free to drop us an email at podcast at kindling.com.au and I think we've got time for one more question before we wrap up.
2: We do we've got a question from Rebecca who's from North Rocks in Sydney. She says what things should you do to make sure your child is financially secure should anything happen to the parents?
1: Oh, that's a great question. And I mentioned in earlier episodes that you should absolutely get your will done, both to make sure that the money goes where you want it to without any arguments, but also so that if something happens to both you and the child's other parent, that there's a testamentary guardian in place who is responsible for making decisions for that child. So that's the first thing. And the second thing I would say is to be reviewing your life insurance to make sure that it can in my case I want to make sure that the house will be paid off if something happens to either me or my partner that the house will be paid in full so the other partner can you know maybe afford to work a bit less and if something happens to both of us then we've got that double payout so that would pay for the house plus the equivalent of um, what our mortgage is to be the kind of money to help bring them up and hopefully see them into adult life.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we have spoken about this in previous episodes, but it actually is probably worthwhile seeking out um, an independent financial planner that could potentially help you. A, ensure you've got a will in place, but also check that you do have insurance because if something were to happen to you and or your partner, having the peace of mind that your kids will be financially secure... Is pretty important.
1: Well, you will get some um, life insurance through your super, but it just may not be enough for for what you want your family to have, what you think their needs will be. And the other thing on the will, do it with a solicitor. Most of the people who do their own will, whether it's a kind of will kit from the news agency or downloaded off the web or just written on a piece of scrap paper, there is usually errors in it, even if it's just like not dating it or, you know, just kind of errors that you may not think are important or it might be legal errors. So I definitely kind of pay the money and get that done properly.
2: Yeah. Some, sometimes it's worth paying for professional help. And that's probably one area where that is absolutely the case. That's it for this episode. I'm Georgie. I'm Caitlin. Join us next time for more of Your Family, Your Money where we'll look into money in perspective. Does money buy you happiness?
0: Your family, your money is brought to you by Westpac Bump Savings Account as part of Westpac's 200th year celebration. If your baby was born in 2017, Westpac will deposit $200 into a Westpac Bump Savings Account, which they can withdraw when they turn 16. You can open the account online today. Visit westpac.com.au forward slash dear bump. Account must be opened and your ID verified by 31 May 2018. The $200 is limited to one per child and will be forfeited if the account is closed before their 16th birthday. Other T's and C's and eligibility criteria apply. Read the T's and C's available at the Westpac website before deciding if the product is right for you.